Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Well, I can tell you this. The latest on Elmo is after he received the injection, uh, Elmo had a case of myocarditis and uh, ended up passing away, unfortunately. But um, they, they just won't stop, will they? It's just ridiculous, man. And now the whole monkeypox thing is coming our way. And uh, according to our wonderful leaders, uh, apparently they're going to make the roads more racial friendly. I don't know how you do that, but Pete Buttigieg, he's going to do it. And he knows how to do it. So, I, I mean, this is ridiculous, right? Um, and the other thing is, this whole thing with the meat thing, uh, they want you and I to barbecue that up for 4th of July, this, this test tube meat that they're developing, because they want to limit how much meat we get. It's insane. I, I just, it, the, every week it just becomes, be, this is beyond even rational thought anymore. It's just ridiculous. But it really what it is, is spiritual. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very evil thing that's happening all over the world and to us as, as well. So the issue then becomes, well, that means we're in a spiritual battle, obviously. And this is gonna lead into um, uh, you know, what we're looking at today because this is part two of what I started on Father's Day. I meant to stay here just as a one day, but there's so much, there's so much things in uh, the, the, the David and Goliath battle is I have to actually break this up into three parts. So this would be part two. There's so much there. And it, basically what it teaches us is how to fight a spiritual battle when you're dealing with enemies like we're dealing with. So we're gonna jump in and we're gonna be... Um, I think in verse 18, we'll start somewhere in that neighborhood. So I'm not going to backtrack and explain a lot about Goliath. And like last time I explained how he's a type of antichrist. He has number 666 associated to him. He's a Nephilim, all that stuff. I did that in the first time. So I'm just going to assume that you know that. And we're just going to bring you into where David is going to come on the scene. And we're going to learn some important leadership principles in that. Here's the Valley of Elah, Okay. This is the valley that the fighting is going to happen. Israelis on one side, Philistines on another, and Goliath is in the middle taunting the Israeli soldiers, okay? So that's the scene right there. And you can have a better layout of the Allah Valley. Um, You can see there that kind of place, that that brown spot where it's kind of been uh, uh, dug up a little bit for farming. That's where the the battle actually happened between David and Goliath. So if you go to, the, to Israel today, it's right there. You can't miss it. And that's where the, the, the whole scene is happening. Okay, so I, I, we're going to start in verse 16 instead of 18. So we're going to see the introduction of David now. Remember, in thinking about this, Goliath is a typology for the Antichrist, okay? David is a typology for Christ, okay? So this is an epic battle that's going to happen. So keep that in mind as we think through things. Okay, verse 16. And the Philistines drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now they weren't fighting, they were standing, watching this happen. They weren't doing anything. And the concept here of 40 days, morning and evening is to show you how inept as a leader Saul is. It is contrasting Saul with David. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's the thing. They're at a standstill for 40 days. 40 in the the Bible is a time of testing. What is it saying? It's saying that Saul is so inept, he has let this thing go on for 40 days. You're thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? Because let me tell you the background on what's going on. What's happened is because they won't act and won't do the right thing, it has hurt the national economy. Because right now is the harvest uh, for barley and wheat going on in Israel at this time. So the men need to be in the fields harvesting. And because they're at a standstill, they can't harvest. But with an agrarian society like Israel, they rise and fall on agriculture. 
So they're having a major economic problem because of bad leadership. Hmm. I wonder how that relates to today. Huh. Have you bought gas lately? Have you went out to eat lately? For goodness sakes, man, I went and bought fireworks last, uh, yet last night. Oh, man. I'm just going to prepare you how bad the, the, the prices went up with fireworks. And not just food, it's everything, right? I got to the point saying, you know what? I can't afford anything. I'm just going to buy those little snakes. And they're two for one. And we'll just do that. It's ridiculous. Everything has went up. But that's what happens when you have bad leadership. Your economy tanks, and that's what was happening under Saul. Now, notice the morning and evening. The morning and evening refer to the sacrifices that would happen in, in the temple. The morning sacrifices were at 9 a.m., and the evening sacrifices were at 3 p.m. And that was part of uh, uh, Judaism's religious services and how the Lord instructed them to do that. Well, they can't even do that. So what's happening is the economy is affected and the religion of Israel is affected. The worship of Yahweh is now affected because of bad leadership. Again, here's another point. When you get ungodly, bad leadership like Saul, it will affect your country's religion. Ah, we're celebrating 4th of July. What, was, what, what religion was our nation founded on? Christianity. Don't let them any crazy historian tell you otherwise when you study the founding fathers. They knew that we were created, they were creating a country that was based on Judeo-Christian values and that this democracy will only hold together because of the morality of people. Once the people go immoral, it's not going to hold together anymore, which is what we're seeing, right? So we have now bad leadership affecting Christianity now, right? And some, unfortunately, in Christianity, they're helping the government out on this. So I wanted to show you that because it's the same thing today. Bad leadership does that. Now, Saul and all of them, uh, you know, they're just, they're, they're out. They're checked out. They're not, they're clueless. They, they, they should know exactly what to do. And the what to do, according to God, is take them out. That's what they should be doing. Not waiting around 40 days. You attack. They're on your land. They don't belong there. We'll get into that a little bit more. But here's a principle. When we delay the right thing due to fear, the right thing to do, others pay the price for our inaction. And that's what Saul's doing. Israel as a country, as a whole, is paying the price economically and religiously. But look at Uvalde. Look at the latest example of bad leadership. And then what's the outcome? People are slaughtered. More's coming out and we find out that they're suppressing information. A pair of Uvalde, Texas police officers had a brief opportunity to shoot the gunman before he entered the school. Uvalde officials appear to be actively working to suppress access to information about the police response. What were they thinking? You have an active shooter running around with a gun and you don't take him out? What is that? That's Saul. That's what Saul did. Philistines ch uh, uh, challenging them. He's defying God and they just let him keep doing it. What is going on with the morality of people? I can tell you this. When you divorce yourself from the Bible and you don't know theology and you don't know what the Bible says, you will lose your moral anchor and you will not be able to confront evil. That's the problem. We have people, because they have no moral ankles, uh, 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 anchors, they can't see evil. They can't see to what to confront. And they just allow it to happen. Just allow it to happen. Just like this. That, all those kids that were slaughtered and those two teachers would have been prevented if they took him out. Unbelievable. And why we sit on the sidelines, why people don't take action against what they're doing, things are happening beyond our control now because of inaction. Not, I'm not talking about you and I. I'm talking about what's going on in Western society. People think this is not, they're not doing anything. Look, Biden advisor talking about your gas prices, right? Says this is about the future of the liberal world order and we have to stand firm. Now listen to him and I'll explain what this means. 
What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay four eighty-five a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Evil always lets it slip. It's like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Did you hear what he said? This is about a liberal world order and we must stand strong or whatever. Wait a second. America is a constitutional republic, not a liberal world order. Do you know, uh, if you've done a little research, liberal world order is another name for build back better. It is another name for new world order. It is another name for globalism. And unfortunately, too many people don't know when they use those terminologies what they're referring to. He is referring to global government. And we will stand firm, he said. Oh, that means your gas prices are not going to change because they want you off fossil fuels because this is what the new world order wants. Everyone to be on electricity so they can control where you drive, what you do, how much electricity you use. Oh, the cat's out of the bag. I'm not a conspiracy theory. They say it. And why are they saying it? Because they know no one will fight against it. They know they will not get a pushback. Enough Americans are so asleep, they can't figure out what's happening to them. Your very country is being stolen from you right in front of your very eyes, and they can't see it. They're like Israel's army is standing on the sidelines. I wonder who's going to take care of Goliath, because I'm not. It's ridiculous. Verse 17, then Jesse, that's David's father, said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah, of this dried grain and 10 loaves and run your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their, th- of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now, what is the big deal about this? Well, it's very, very important. The father is sending the son to the battleground to make a provision for the brethren. And ultimately, you know that David will be the one who fights Goliath. Do you see somebody in that picture? The father sends the son to make provision to save and rescue Israel and the rest of the world. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of the father sending the son, right? It's beautiful, isn't it? Like I said, David is a picture of the Messiah, right? And what is he gonna do? He's gonna provide, provide help. And then ultimately, he will provide the, the, the solution to the problem of Goliath, just like Jesus provided the solution for sin, right? Okay, but here's the principle. Jesse, because of his age, can't go to battle. He's an older man, and so he can't fight. So what they would do in, in that time is if you couldn't fight, you needed to provide provision to those on the battleground. You needed to provide help for them. And so it wasn't like what we do with our armies and navies and Air Force Marines life, uh, and Coast Guards. What we end up having to do is the, the state or the federal government pays for their food. And, but back in the ancient days, the families of the soldiers provided food for them to survive out there on the battlefield. And, and so the principle in scripture is this. We are obligated to provide for those in the battle if we can't be in the battle. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, there's different ministries that, like Rock Harbor supports that we can't go into that particular battle. That's why we, we, we give to Jewish evangelism because a Jew evangelizing another Jew is more effective than a Gentile dog like me trying to evangelize to a Jew. I can do it, but I'm not as effective. So that's why we support Menel Kalisher in Jerusalem, who witnesses to the Jews there. And we support Cyril down there in Southern California, who witnesses to the Jewish population down there. For goodness sake, Cyril can get into synagogues and talk with a rabbi. They wouldn't let me in, but Cyril can. So what my, our point is in ministry, support those that are in that particular battle, that do those unique ministries in which you can't. And that's how it works. Jesus picked up the principle in the parable of the talents. 
And remember, there was three, uh, three servants. One doubled his talent. The other one doubled his talent. Five went to 10. Two went to four. But then the one guy, the last guy, buries his talent, right? Because he said he was afraid, right? Didn't do anything. Saw what needed to happen, but he didn't do anything. So Jesus uses this principle and says to him, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my, with, uh, my own with interest. So if you weren't going to do anything, then why don't you give your money to someone that will? That's the point. And so this is what Jesse is doing. It's illustrating that, that principle. Okay, so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took these things and went as Jesse commanded him. Now, please don't miss this. This is significant. God is contrasting David with Saul. Saul is a bad leader. David is going to be a great leader. And what, what are the marks of a great leader? Look what he's doing. David rose early in the morning as he was told by his father, and he left the sheep with a keeper. Now, this is showing you that this teenager, number one, respects the authority of his father, number one. He does exactly what his father tells him to do. Okay, dad, I'm doing it. But look at the responsibility. The dad didn't have to walk him through. And oh, by the way, you can't just leave the sheep. You've got to go get someone to watch them. You just can't leave them out there, right? Wouldn't that be nice to have that kind of person? that he already knows what the answer is, that he already is going to, I got, Pop, I got it taken care of. I got someone to watch the sheep. Isn't that great? You didn't have to walk him through and spoon feed the guy? Wow, that would be easy parenting. He's a teenager. He obeys authority and he's responsible. Wow, that's unlike what you see in our culture where children have to be spoon-fed about everything they do because they've removed all responsibility from them. And they've also taught our children to not respect authority, to not honor your father and mother, haven't they? They don't even respect authority. That's why when they go get a job, they get fired all the time because they can't cooperate with a boss telling them, hey, your job requires you to clean that bathroom. I ain't cleaning the bathroom. That's not what I'm here for. Well, you're fired. This is the problem we're having. If you look at David, man, that dude's sharp. Bay's authority. Dad, don't worry about it. I got the sheep. He didn't have to be told that, which is showing you that he makes a great leader. And he came to the camp of the army, was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. And for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. Ran, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Now, what, what is this going on? Again, more responsibility. The food preparations that his dad sent, David is more is responsible for this. And so what if David, acting as a teenager, said, hey, you know what, that's the food, I'm gonna go to the battle, here we go. And he leaves the stuff there. What's gonna happen? Someone's gonna steal it and eat it. So he even ensures, hey man, stay this, guard this. I'm gonna go to my brother's because uh, I don't want their food supply taken away from them. Dude, he's like 14 or 15 years old doing this. You can't even get adults to do this. Very responsible, submits to authority. Good leader. Let me explain something about God's leaders. God's leaders are shepherd leaders. They're not ranchers. They're shepherds because you have to have a heart of the shepherd in order to lead properly. What do you mean? The shepherd will feed and nurture and protect the sheep, right? He leads, he prevents anything that would cause disunity in the flock. So notice the staff on that one side. That's a shepherd's staff. It has a crook at the end of it, right? That is to be used by the shepherd to keep the sheep in unity, to keep the herd together. And if one of the sheep get out of line and is causing disunity, the shepherd will discipline that sheep. So for instance, if one of the sheep keeps straying away from the herd, then the common practice, and they do it today in the Middle East, 
as they will, he will go to that sheep that keeps straying, pick it up, and then break its leg on purpose. He will carry that sheep at that point and then mend the leg, wrap the leg up, and he will carry that sheep until that leg heals. Once that leg heals, then that sheep is able to walk. But let me ask you this. Will that sheep ever stray again? Nope. And they still do that today. That's what a shepherd does. Sometimes he has to inflict pain on the sheep to protect it from getting killed. You're out there on your own. A bear or a lion will get you, a wolf. So I'm going to teach you a lesson. I want to inflict pain to keep you safe. Sometimes a shepherd has to do that. Sometimes tough love is required when you're dealing with stray sheep. And a lot of people think, oh, that's just so cruel. I can't believe you're being that mean to them. I can't believe you're doing this and that to them. No, a shepherd is willing to break the leg so the sheep doesn't die. The shepherd is willing to cause pain in order to bring the sheep back into the fold. Let's talk about the rod. This is the second staff that the shepherd would carry. David will carry a rod. The rod is a short, heavy club-like device. It is there to beat away enemies. It is there to beat the wolf, a lion, a bear, whatever. It's to, there to protect the flock. And so this instrument would be used against enemies. So let's translate this all together now into spiritual terms. In a shepherd leader, the shepherd, the leader, whether it's a leader of the home, leader of a church, leader of a, uh, of a job, whatever, you have to carry both rods. And both rods mean something spiritually. Now, in the body of Christ, the third person of the Trinity is the one that gives unity to each person because we're in the body of Christ. We're unified together in the body of Christ. So the shepherd's staff and the crook is representative of the Holy Spirit. So the leader must be yielding to the Holy Spirit in order to be an effective leader. Is David yielding to the Holy Spirit? He sure is. He's obeying authority. One of the key aspects of someone who yields to the Holy Spirit is they obey authority. That's a key aspect. You can't be a leader if you won't submit to God's authority. Second, the rod. What does the rod mean? The rod, spiritually speaking, is the word of God. And with the word of God, you protect the sheep. So you have the Holy Spirit that creates the unity and you have the word of God that which protects. So if that's the case, a good leader will warn his people that he's responsible for with the word of God about threats that are coming to them. Whether that's sin, whether that's bad, uh, bad attitudes or ideas, or if that's a false teacher, a false prophet, false teaching. They have a responsibility to say, don't bring that here. That's false teaching. That's a false teacher. That's a false prophet. It is not enough for a church or a pastor to even say, you know what, guys, there's wolves out there and there's Satan's out there that's coming to get you. Uh, so let's pray it up and leave. It's not enough. Because all I've told you that there's an enemy out there, but I have not identified the enemy. It is not enough for me to give you that in principle. I have to tell you who the enemy is. Hey, Joel Osteen, false teacher. John Piper, false teacher. Creflo Dollar, false teacher, right? Kenneth Hagin, false teacher. And the list goes on. That's why we name names around here. Because if I send you out and I, you can't identify what's wrong, then you're going to be left vulnerable. You know the thing about sheep? That's why God relates us to sheep. Sheep are the most defenseless animal on the planet. They can't do anything. They have no defenses whatsoever. Secondly, they're dumber than a box of rocks. Okay, That's just the way they are. They're dumb. Dumb animal. Third is they can't see very well. That's why you can't drive sheep. You have to lead them in front. 
So a shepherd leader leads in front because all they can see is him, but they can't go on their own because they can't see very well. And so in order to take care of the people that you're responsible for, you have to be a shepherd leader in that. That's what David is. Verse 23, then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. This is important. Look at the difference. Verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So you can see what's going on in the Israeli army. They're afraid. They, won't, they were not willing to lose their life to fight this guy. But the first thing that happens with David is that I hear him. I hear what he's saying. This is important because you have to have ears to hear. David has ears to hear and he hears the blasphemy that's coming from Goliath. Apparently, everybody in the Israeli army, including Saul, are hearing the blasphemies and they're not doing anything about it. So the first thing that sets David off is, I hear it. So that means he's going to take action. When you hear evil, when you see evil, it starts in you a process of, okay, I got to do something about this if I can. Whether that's in your home, whether that's in the church or whatever, you have to do something when you hear it. You now, because you've heard it, are responsible to do something about it. And that's what, where it's going with David. He hears it. Bingo, now you're responsible. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? This is talking about Goliath, who has come up. Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father house, father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Man, that would be awesome. No taxes? Wow, I'll go for that. But there's something here I want you to see. Notice the three elements. He'll be rich, he'll have riches. He'll get married and the people of his household will be exempt. Remember I said David is a picture of Messiah. So with Jesus, when he dies on a cross, is buried, resurrects, that's the victory, right? That's the victory. And because of that victory, Messiah gets an inheritance. He inherits the, the kingdom of God, right? He inherits all of that. All riches and honor are given to him. And Messiah then shares that inheritance with us in terms of rewards if we're a good Christian and we're faithful and dedicated. So number one, you have the great riches is referring to the inheritance Christ has from the Father. Second, David will get to marry Saul's daughter. He gets a bride. So what bride is Jesus given? The church, got it? Jesus receives a bride, the church. And all in the father's house are exempt. What could that possibly mean in terms of Jesus? Oh, because of his sacrifice on the cross, everybody that believes in him as part of his household is exempt from the penalty of sin. Bingo. All three aspects are gonna go to David and all three aspects happen with Christ. It's beautiful. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now you think maybe David's getting angry and he's being derogative, but no, no, no. David is making a theological statement. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Well, to understand this, you have to understand the covenants of Israel because David is so astute on the covenants, he knows exactly what he needs to do. First of all, the Abrahamic covenant made in Genesis 12 is still in effect for the Jews. And what does that mean? They have to follow the precepts of the Abrahamic covenant, which means the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, covenant is circumcision. So every Jewish uh, male will be circumcised even to this day. 
And us Gentiles follow that as well. Even though we're, we're, um, we're not Jewish, we follow circumcision. We see the health benefits in circumcision that God gave the Jews. But it not only meant the Abrahamic covenant, it also was required in, to be part of the Mosaic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant uh, required circumcision as a sign. Now, the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. The Mosaic covenant has is stopped at the cross. And now we're under the covenant of the law of the Messiah, uh, the, the new covenant, right? Okay, but both required circumcision. So what's the implications for Goliath? It's this. According to Mosaic law, according to Abraham, several things in those covenants tell David what exactly to do about dealing with Goliath. Number one, he doesn't have any right to the land and neither do the Philistines. So they should be driven off. Number two, he is blaspheming God. Therefore, what is required is Goliath needs to be stoned to death. Stoned to death. Stoned to death. How are they going to do that? So what, what I'm saying is the covenants demand a certain response out of Israel. And only David is going to respond the right way. Okay. That he should defy the armies of the living God. He's defying the living God by blaspheming. He has no right to do this. But because of inept leadership, he's being allowed to do this. And unfortunately, it's the same thing going on in our culture. Because of inept leadership in all aspects of our culture, people defy God all the time and blaspheme. Look at this. Boy Scouts march in Seattle Gay Pride Parade. Could you ever imagine the Boy Scouts doing this? Now they do. That's why we have trail life at Rock Harbor because it's our Christian substitute for the Boy Scouts because they're completely woke now. I don't know what kind of parent puts their kids in Boy Scouts if you're going to be uh, uh, going through a gay parade. What in the world what does that have to do with Boy Scouts? Kentucky Catholic Church holds services of atonement and apology to LGBTQ people. Really? Sodomy is forbidden. What Bible are you reading? Leaked scene from Disney's upcoming kids show, Baymax, depicts a transgender man recommending, comp, uh, recommending tampons um, to Baymax. Now, this is how ridiculous Disney has become. They're groomers, right? First rate. They did the Buzz Lightyear thing, and now they're doing this. Now, first of all, that white balloon guy, I don't know what his name is. I guess his name is Baymax. The scene depicts him shopping for tampons. Well, I don't know. This is, is, is like some androgynous figure and he's shopping for tampons. So, so then some transgender dude, the guy holding the pink box right there, comes up to him and says, hey, I like these. <laughs> what? When did men start menstruating? I guess the same time when they put the little menstruating tampon boxes in the men's bathrooms, I guess. That's when it started. Are these people out of their minds? This is the defiance to God. And God made the male and female. This is total defiance to him. And there's this being allowed. Now, uh, Insider website, this is not a conservative website. It's a very liberal, leftist, pro-LGBT website. But I want you to see this. They are celebrating this, that in the cartoons of today, they have identified 259 LGBT characters in the cartoons. And they're, they're, and they're saying this is a good reason, right? I'm just showing you this is a bad thing. Saying that the myth that kids can't handle inclusion. The kids, what? Uh, so what they have really told us now is that they have been a long time putting these in the cartoons and without the parents being aware, you flip on the cartoon, you have no idea what's going on, what your kid's watching, but they said we inserted 259 LGBT characters. I went on the website and I saw all the characters, all of them. And I, I, again, I don't know any of these cartoons. I only know like Popeye and Bugs Bunny and those from the past and Fred Flintstone. Uh, that's all I remember. And they weren't putting in no LGBT thing in that. But now the cartoons, all of them have these characters. Look at the years 
of and when they started putting the LGBT characters in the cartoons. This is on their website. 1985, 1990, 95, it has a little bit, 2000, a little bit, 2005. Look at 2010, 11, 12, 13, to 2015, and then to 220. In the last, what, 20, uh, let's see, 2010, so 12, 13 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, we have seen a dramatic increase of LGBT characters in children's programs. Do not think for a moment they're not grooming kids. This is defiance to God. Hmm. Teacher in Colorado was sent to a re-education camp after suggesting that some people regret transitioning genders. He said this to one of his students who was emailing that she's going to be transitioning. And he says, hey, here's a website you need to check out and really think about this before you make a major move like that and have some Frankenstein doctor cut you up and, and give you hormone blockers and testosterone. Well, anyway, you know, the school ain't gonna deal with that. So if you're gonna keep your job, you had to be re-educated. That guy should have quit. He should have quit. Say, forget you, man. You're crazy. I'm not going to some re-education. He had to go to Gender Inclusion 101 or whatever. It, insane, right? That's the defiance of God. Look what's coming down the pipe. A transgender Bill of Rights. As if... Our Bill of Rights are not enough. Our Bill of Rights protects Americans in our society. But no, they're not enough for transgender people. They're not enough. So now they got to have more rights given to them. These are called positive rights that come from government and not from God. That they can compete in any sports they want. That they can go into any bathroom they want. Why? Because it's their right. Oh, But what about the rights of girls? What about the rights of women? Do you understand that this defiance to God is an attack on women? So you got perverts going into women's locker rooms in Target, and we already know what's happened there. Girls have been raped, molested, all kinds of stuff. And then you're going to have men going into women's sports. I just watched some dude who's 29 years old He has three kids and went into the military. Now he identifies as a woman. Go beat a 13-year-old girl in a women's skateboarding contest in New York. I bet that guy feels real good about himself. You beat a 13-year-old, you idiot. What are you thinking? Because he's not thinking. He's crazy. That's why. And the people running the program and the, the contests are crazy too. The NCAA is crazy. They're letting that guy swim at University of Penn. They're crazy. Who does that? I can tell you this. You know the, the root cause of all of this. It's an attack on women, no doubt about that. But why is it so vicious? I'm gonna take you to Genesis chapter three. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Oh. There is a natural hatred that Satan has towards women. Look at all of history, what Satan has done through people with women. Women were treated like property, second-class citizens, right? Treated horribly. People had concubines and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? All throughout history, women have been treated the worst as far as humanity is concerned because the enmity between Satan and women, he hates women. Oh, so let's bring that to today. The transgender movement is Satan's enmity towards girls and women. That's what the spiritual issue is. And he's doing a very good job of it. Ladies, When Satan gets done with all of this, women will have no rights again in the new world order. How do I know this? Uh, Because when I read scripture, it says that the Antichrist also hates women too. He has no regards for them. Women will begin to be second class citizens and you're starting to see the beginning of it with the transgender movement, ladies. Satan hates you above all the other humans because of that enmity. That's what this is about. It's satanic. Now, the problem is we don't have help because we have these people defying God and the other churches helping them out. 
Think about the SCOTUS decision that came down of eliminating uh, Roe v. Wade, right? Overturning Roe v. Wade should be celebrated, right? These people are saying it shouldn't be celebrated. Uh, Let's all go get get back vasectomies. What? Am I missing something? What are you talking about? uh, Since Roe v. Wade and, well, since women can't get abortion, let's all get vasectomies. I read this in the New York Post this week. Ever since the SCOTUS decision went down, there's been like a 500% increase in vasectomies. And I know what you're saying. I mean, they're all woke guys like that guy. That guy's woke, right? You just look at him. And wearing a shirt for vasectomies prevent abortion. What a goofball. That's a woke guy. What, what are they talking about here? Oh, here's what they're talking about. Women were using the morning after pill to kill their baby instead of contraception. And so since they weren't using contraceptive means, their morning after pill was what they were using to abort their baby if they did get pregnant. So now, since they're worried about getting access to it, and by the way, if you live in California, they have full access to it anyway, and the federal government's going to be paying for it. The federal government's going to be paying up to $4,000 for anyone to travel to California to go to our abortion mills. Did you know that? Up to $4,000 in travel expenses. Hotel, airfare, they'll pay for it all. It's insane. So it's still going to happen here. But here's what was happening. Oh, so these girls are using um, morning after pills to have abortions. Um, Now they can't get access or they think they can't get access to it. So the other solution is we're just going to have a vasectomy for the guys. It still doesn't solve the problem. You're still fornicating. You're still having sex before marriage. But they don't care about that, right? They're just worried about getting pregnant. But they're still going to do the immorality. So it doesn't solve the problem. You're still immoral. Even if you get a vasectomy. So what? You're still immoral because you're having sex outside of marriage. This is how whacked out our culture is in their thinking. So whacked out. And then you have these other Christians, so-called, um, saying, hey, the Gospel Coalition urges, urges us not to celebrate, but to empathize with pro-abortion mothers. What? What? This is a Christian organization. Not, not anymore. This impastor says, if you celebrate Supreme Court Roe v. Wade ruling, you're worthy of hellfire. Count me in, impastor. Count me in, because I'm celebrating it, so I guess I'm worthy of hellfire. Whatever God he serves is a different God of the Bible. I'm sorry, but this, that ilk is all over the place. But what are they doing, guys? They're defying God like Goliath did. Just defying. Let's go back to the text. And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Talking about the rewards, right? Now, Eliab... The oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men. Heard who? Heard David. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Belittling his job. You see that? I know your pride. No, you don't. You, you're pretending to know motivations and you're the insolence of your heart. Oh, are you God, Eliab? For you have come down to see the battle. What he affects saying is, hey man, I know what you're coming down here for. You're not coming down here to help us. You're, you're, you're coming down to watch someone get killed. That's what you're, you're gonna get your joy from is watching Israelis get slaughtered. That's why you're here. Why don't you get out of here? What is this about, dude? Well, remember, David has already been anointed as king of Israel when he's a little boy in front of the other brothers. This is Eliab, his older brother. What do you think the older brother is is thinking now? He is spiritually jealous of David. And he just hammers David left and right because of that spiritual jealousy. That's what Eliab represents. 
Eliab in the life of Jesus is represented by the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes who couldn't stand Jesus because he threatened them and they were spiritually jealous of him. We will not have this man to rule over us. And Eliab and his brothers were like that with David. He's just a little punk. He ain't gonna rule over us. He's not the king. This is ridiculous. But notice what spiritual jealousy does. What is this? Spiritual jealousy is jealous of another person's relationship with the Lord. And that, that other relationship with, with the Lord that they see and they envy, they want that. They see the, the things I put on here, the, the true fellowship, the higher callings, more responsibility, spiritual opportunities, spiritual blessings, and being used at a greater level by the Lord. They want that. But you know what they don't want? The work that goes into developing that. The work and the faithfulness and the dedication that goes in to God expanding a person's ministry because they've been faithful for many years in the trenches. Moses was 40 years in the desert before he was used. David will not become king of Israel until 25 years after this. He doesn't instantly go on the throne. Abraham will have the promised son of Yitzhak 25 years later. People say, I'm a friend of God. No, you're not. A friend of God was only given to Abraham at the end of his life when he passed the test of offering Yitzhak before God. Then he was called the friend of God. He was not called the friend of God before that. The disciples are called the friend of God after they left their vocations and trusted Christ to provide for them in his ministry. Then he calls them, you are now my friends at the, at the year three and a half, not at the first. People get jealous of that because they don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the time to study their Bible. They don't want to put in the time to pray. They don't want to put in the time to serve in menial tasks. I want you to see how he, remember how he belittled David? Those few sheep. What was happening when David was out there day after day, day after day, watching the sheep all alone? What was going on? He's being trained. He's being trained to be one-on-one -on -one with God, to trust God, to learn how to guard a flock, how to keep it, because eventually he will be the shepherd of Israel. That was not a menial task. It was extremely important that he learned how to do that. That's what Moses was doing on the desert, taking care of Jethro's herds in the middle of the wilderness, all alone. Do not forsake the menial tasks that God gives you. It means something because if you don't handle the menial tasks well, you won't be able to handle the bigger stuff that he wants to give you. You won't, he won't be able to handle that. You have to be faithful in a little to be trusted with more. And David said, what have I done now? What does that tell you about the home life? This has been constantly going on in David's life with his brothers. What have I done now? What are you going to blame me for now? right? Is there not a cause? That's huge. Is there not a cause? What they're saying, he, he, they chastised David and said, hey, you, you know, what, what is the big deal? Why are you coming down here? Why are you, why are you watching this? And David's like, let me read between the lines here. Are you guys crazy? Do you see what's going on in front of you? All of you have been standing around for 40 days, including Saul, and none of you will take this guy on when you know that God demands that we deal with this guy. This is an evil presence. We have to deal with him. So do not come to me and say there's not a cause. Don't tell me there's nothing going on. Don't believe your lying eyes. Is there not a cause? It's like what I heard from Mary Lee that, that worked at uh, the Kern County. She was the head of the Kern County, uh, uh, Kern County Right to Life. She's retired now, and I think Jasmine has taken her place there. 
I was on the radio with, um, with Mary Lee, and off air, we were talking. She goes, Brandon, I don't understand the churches, man. I go, what's happening? She goes, I can't get hardly anybody from these churches to come talk or even say anything about abortion in the churches. I said, what, are you ta- what do you mean? They say they don't want to get involved. They say it's too political. It's too divisive. They say, what's the point? Sacramento's going to do their own thing. I said, Mary Lee, is there not a cause? 63 million babies are being killed and these pastors won't help you? Is there not a cause? There is. What's wrong with people? There is a cause. We're fighting a battle out here and they're pretending nothing's going on putting their head in the sand and going about their little church life and their little Christian life as if nothing's happening. You fool! Your life is going to be taken away from you if you don't fight. You fool! Is there not a cause? The LGBT agenda is breathing down your throats to take your kids away. The state wants to take your kids away. They want to take your job away if you don't comply with their wokeness and their ESG scores. You will not work. Is there not a cause? I'm with you, David. There is a cause. There's a Philistine, an uncircumcised Philistine right there, and that guy needs to be taken out. That's the cause. Then he turned from the, uh, him toward another, and the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported to Saul. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Well, God bless you, David. Somebody's going to step up. Someone's got to do something. But please understand this. This is not Rocky Balboa taking on Ivan Drago from Russia in Rocky Four, where a guy musters up enough courage to face insurmountable odds. That's not what that is. That's a Rocky Balboa story. That's not what David's doing. David is not activated by courage or bravery at all. He is activated by faith alone. That's what's driving David. Faith alone. How do I know this? This is what David knows. He knows the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. He knows that Goliath is cursing Israel. He must go after him for doing this. Second, he knows according to Numbers 33, 50 through 53, that Israel, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their engraved stones. Destroy all their molded images. Demolish all the high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and, that, and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. They have, the Philistines have no right to be on that land and neither, do, neither does Goliath. So the immediate call to action is to get them off the land immediately. That's the action call. What else does David know? This is very important. I want to show you this. This is because of the Mosaic covenant. It promises the Israeli soldiers supernatural empowerment when they fight. Look, you will chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to fight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Did you see that? So what he told them is five Israeli soldiers, five of them could take on a hundred and a hundred Israeli soldiers can take on 10,000. Oh, oh, that's called supernatural empowerment from God. That, that's how, even though the uh, odds are stacked against them, they have no problem because they will have God's supernatural power. Guys, that's still in effect for Israel today, by the way. That's why they, they route people in 1948. They routed people in 1967. They routed people in Nam Kippur. And if anyone tries to attack them anytime soon, Psalm 83 will ensue and Israel will throttle them. Absolutely throttle because of Why? Because they're so intelligent, because they're so armed to the teeth? No, supernatural empowerment the Jews have from God when they fight battles. Leviticus 26. 
That's what David knows. So when David says, okay, Goliath's a, a stinking Nephilim, man. He's a hybrid, dude. He's nearly 10 feet tall. David ain't thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna look at my own resources and I can't fight that. No, he's thinking, I don't care what he is because I have supernatural empowerment from God. So whatever I decide to do, I can take this guy because I got God. Oh, and also he has, he has been prepared. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he is a man of war from this youth. Now Saul, because he's a typical worldly leader, thinks conventionally. He doesn't think godly, thinks conventionally. He's saying, look, you're probably gonna go into hand-to-hand combat and you're gonna die because he's way stronger than you. And here's the thing, the ways of God are not conventional. The ways of God are different than the ways of man. So Saul's thinking conventionally. You can't take this guy on. So here's how David explains the unconventional way that God has prepared him. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. So he says, Saul, I have no intention of taking this guy on physically. I can't beat him physically, but I'm gonna take him out like I took out a lion and I took out a bear, which I, I'm not physically able to take out a lion or bell, a bear, but I took him out with my sling. Now, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the, 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 the amount of speed coming off a rock in, a, in, a, in a, a Middle Eastern sling, they've tried these today to experiment with them, David had a rock probably the size of a golf ball or just under a tennis ball size, okay? That's how big a rock they would sling these things. They could get that thing going so fast and then let that thing go that it would reach up to 130 miles an hour coming out of the sling. Now, that's even faster than the exit speed off a major league bat with a ball coming off the bat. That's, again, think about it in your mind. You got Mike Trout hitting a home run. That sling is coming out faster than the ball exiting the bat of Mike Trout. So when it hits, it does damage. It does serious damage. David's out there using that sling day in and day out, and he becomes very accurate, very accurate. And you can become very accurate with slings. And he says, I, I struck a lion and a bear. So that's my, my strategy is not to take him on physically. I'm going to shoot him one of those rocks and I'm gonna take him out like I took out the bear and lion. Now here's, but he, know, he learned something. Look at this last statement. And when it arose, it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. He says, you know what, Saul? I learned something. And I learned it very early on when these bears and lions would attack the flock. He goes, I would use the sling and I would, I, I would shoot the rock at them and it would knock them out. And then I would just leave them there and go back to the flock. He goes, but then what I learned is after I knocked them out, they woke up again. And they woke up again and they came back after the flock and came back after me. So I had to take them by the beard. I had to, what did he say? And I struck, I had to do it again, strike them with a rock, but then I had to go back and kill it so it doesn't wake up. So what David is in effect saying is that, hey, look, here's, what's, here's how the plan of action is gonna be, Saul. The rock, I'm gonna shoot at his head to knock him out. That's what I do with the lion bear. So then once he's knocked out, I'll go over there and I'll kill him while he's knocked out. That's what I did. That's what he learned. Now, what is all that? That is God teaching David how to kill Goliath early on in his life with lions and bears. And he learned the lesson. So don't discount the preparation that God puts in your life to face the Goliaths that are, that are going on right now. You have faced other things in similar ways. So he goes, your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them, seeing that he's defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Tater chip, let it rip. It's easy, man. We'll got, we, I got this thing. I got the faith. I know I have the know-how and I'm gonna take him out. So again, all faith-driven. All this is faith-driven. Don't discount how God has prepared you for the battles we face right now. What you need to do is look back in your life and you need to discover the lions and bears 
that you were successful at in taking out, okay? But here's what I want you to think about in the victories that you had, because this is the problem with, with uh, Saul. The idea that David is saying is that when I had a lion and bear, I learned that I had to finish it. I had to finish it off. I couldn't just go away after I knocked it out. I had to kill it. And the same principle applies. Those things in your life that you had to fight and you had to deal with, it's not enough to get it, well, I calmed the fire down. No, no, you've got to put out the fire completely. You have to end it. Tie the knot. It's done. I'm past it. That's the lesson you have to have before you move on to the bigger Goliath. You have to learn to end it. Now, here's the thing. Will Saul learn this lesson? No, he won't. In order to end something, you have to be 100% obedient to end something. You have to go all the way that God is calling you to do. All the way. And, and don't care about how much pain it's going to cause you. It will cause you pain. But you must finish it. Otherwise, the lion and the bear will get back up. So in the case of Saul, a bad leader, you know what happened to Saul? He was told to wipe out a people group. I want them all dead and, and um, I don't want the animals, kill the animals and wipe them all out. No one alive. So you know what happens? Saul goes out there, kills a lot of people, but he keeps several of them alive, including the king, Agag, and he keeps the animals alive. So Samuel, the prophet, comes on the scene and says, hey man, why do I hear the beating of lambs and sheep and goats? I told you to kill every one of them, including the animals. And then he looks and he says, oh my lanta, that's King Agag. I told you to kill him. And you didn't. I'll finish this. Grabs a sword, goes right up to the king. Wham! That's how you finish it, Saul. I told you, finish it off. So Samuel finishes it, but you know what? He left Agites alive. And you know what the Agites did? They continued to go because they were not fully exterminated and they continue to live and they continue to have children. And by the time Israel is in the Babylonian captivity and then Persia takes over and Persia is now in control, you have Xerxes on the throne in Persia and you have Israel under their thumb living in Persia or Babylon. And guess who pops up and says, let's kill all the Jews. A guy by the name of Haman. His name is evil Haman. He is mocked as he should be on Purim in Israel. Oh, I forgot to tell you the most important part. A, uh, uh, Haman is an agite. Thank you very much, Saul, for not completing the mission and killing all the Agites. You left a few alive and they came back alive as a bear and a lion to kill Israel in the future. That's when, when God says, you finish it, you finish it, man. If you're gonna be a leader, you need to tie up the loose ends and end it today. That's what David has learned. I will end it. Now, what's the, what's the, the application? Because I, 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 I've got to stop here, man. I can't go any further, man. Because we're going to have to do part three on this. Because we haven't even gotten into the battle. And when you get into the battle, you're going to see things you didn't know that was there. The battle of Armageddon is in this story. Christ's second coming is in this story. The end of the new world order is in this story. It's amazing. I want you to think about this for homework. Okay, I want you to think about this. David's going to use a rock. He's, he's going to go into battle with a staff. He, all he has is a rock and a staff. If you can do your homework, I want you to figure out what the rock represents and what the staff represents. The staff is the rod. And the rock represents something else. 
We'll talk about that more, but let me give you this application because I got all this ready for you. Got way more ready. Okay. There are believers who don't know what is happening right now. Just like Saul. Saul is clueless in this situation, right? They don't know what's happening because they have a dead faith. I'm not saying they're not believers. Their faith is dead according to James chapter two, which means it's not producing good works and the, 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 the right things to do. The good work that should have been produced in Saul's life is go kill this guy. You do it yourself. You're the king, go do it. But he wouldn't do it. So his faith is dead. It's not producing any life. These are what we call the clueless Laodiceans. They don't see what's going on out in this world. They don't see the threat. They don't see the defiance before God, okay? And then there's the second category. These are people who watch things happen due to their lack of faith in the Lord and fear. They watch it. They know what's going on, but they don't get involved. We call these people talent barriers. They bury their talent. They know what they're supposed to do, but they don't do anything because of fear and lack of faith. And then there's the third category. And I hope all of you are in this category. These are the people who see spiritually what's going on in this world. They see the threat of evil. They can identify what evil is because they have a moral compass and they know the word of God. They know what's happening. And because they see it, they hear it, they see it, they act. They act. And they act according to faith. What should be done in this situation? Then act. That's what they do. They, they see evil. They spot it. They hear it. David, all he had to do is hear it. And he goes, I know what to do. Are you that kind of person? Do you know what to do when you see it? Because if you have a good moral compass and you're close to God like David was, it's instantaneously. You will not have to sit there for 40 days trying to figure things out like Saul does. You'll say, there it is. Okay, boom, I'm doing this. You instantly go into action. That's David. I hope that's you. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.